ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying time is here. That's right! It is Friday the 13th, Part 5, A New Beginning, on Kill by Kill. Greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from Camp Crystal Lake, or wherever the fuck this mental institution slash halfway house is. I don't know, so why should you? And welcome back to the Kill by Kill podcast, where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. We'll be unpacking all the gory details of Friday the 13th Part 5 in the hopes that a a person's... uh, I don't even know how to describe them anymore because they're not campers and they're not partiers. But their untimely end will just be the beginning of the jokes we're going to make about them. And the only person that I trust to help me with these awkward definitions of people whom we do not know where they live and we do not know why they exist is the one and only Gina Radcliffe. How you doing, Gina? (sighs) Do we have to keep talking about this? (laughs) I'm afraid this is part and parcel of what we've dedicated ourselves to do. In order to go all the way through the Friday the 13th franchise, we have to actually talk about every movie in the franchise and that includes part five and unlike last week where we came too close to the sun in an effort to get through as many characters in one episode as we possibly can we just had a monstrous episode and as a result it was just it was too much so we're gonna we're gonna pump the brakes here for a little bit all right we're gonna slow down and and talk about some things more in depth which will also allow us to talk about things that aren't friday the 13th part five along the way so hopefully that will lessen the burden on both of us i hope so well we can always hope and without hope where are we And that gets a uh, low-level giggle from Gina. And now, (laughs) let's bring on our very special guest. He is one half of the Scream 101 podcast and happens to be a writer for Blumhouse.com, the premier place for all things horror-related on the internet. It's the one and only Brennan Klein. How are you doing, sir? It's showtime. (laughs) I'm doing great, Patrick. Thanks for having me. Now, is that something you just saved for us, or is that a signature piece of? Oh, I IP saved it for you. Me? Oh, it's thank authentic you. though. I do, I'm not wearing a shirt right now. Oh, you? there's more than enough room for shirtless dudes. We're talking about Friday the Thirteenth Part Five, oh, where everyone is shirtless almost all the time throughout the entire movie. Even though that's why I want to watch in, it all day. Even though they're stuck in the back of the woods and and with the poison ivy and the and the chiggers and the and the ticks. I hope they're taking like at least heartworm medication at the very <laughs> least. But we're talking about Friday the 13th part 5, uh something which uh neither Gina and I like at all. Oh, that's too bad. Oh, so now, would you count yourself as a part five enjoyer? And can you tell me why? Okay, I am not uh, the most valiant of defenders of part five. Okay. It's not a good movie. No. Um, No, absolutely not. (laughs) I think it's far from the worst of the franchise, though. How far? (laughs) What is the farthest? A couple kilobits. Look, I don't want to ruffle any feathers, but my least favorite is Jason X. I just... I. I'm not. I don't have a a large amount of enthusiasm for the pacing of that movie. Okay. And part five, it's just really silly and it's completely inconsequential. But what Friday the Thirteenth movie is consequential? I assume, and I've asked many people on the internet this, 
when they brought up that they really like part five. I've always well, I'm asked, not in that camp, but let's, yeah, not, know, let's not paint me with any brushes here. <laughs> uh, let's take you out of the equation. When others on the internet have stated that their preference is for part five above all else, I often ask, I, I don't want to argue you out of your position. You're you're well entitled to enjoy what you enjoy, but please tell me what you like about this movie. I almost never hear anything back. And so <laughs> I just assume that it's, oh, that was the first one that I ever saw. Or they're just connected to those characters in some way, which you can't explain. That's all fine and understandable. But to view this as like the monument, like it rises above all else. I cannot understand that in any way, shape, or form. No, that's nonsense. Uh, What was your first exposure to the Friday the 13th franchise? My first exposure to the Friday the 13th franchise is the opening scene of Scream, where Ghostface asks Drew Barrymore who the killer in Friday the 13th is. And I was watching this movie the summer before my senior year in high school. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Scream is the best thing that's ever happened to me. I want to watch all these movies that it's referencing. Mm-hmm. So I started with the Friday the 13th franchise. I went on and on and on and spiraled down into this uh, like rock bottom where I am now. <laughs> I just watched Night of the Demons last night. I'm pretty deep. I'm in. Mm-hmm. But Friday the 13th was one of the first things I came across. And it's one of the slasher franchises that's just so consistent. They're not good, but they deliver exactly what you want from them. And... I love how basically one entry came out in almost every year of the 80s, and it's this awesome time capsule as the decade progresses. And it's just such a fun franchise, and I'm happy you guys are talking about it. The the anachronistic points of it are one of my favorite parts. I love that you get a slice in time. And unfortunately, I feel like part five is lacking in that. With the exception of Violet. Yeah, I was going to say. Who seems to be an amalgam of a couple different things going on. She's often described... As a goth online, which I can sort of see. And then, of course, the tutting uh, fascination that she has, which is about two or three years too late. Everyone else could have been from any period of time in history. This could have taken place during the Roman occupation of Britain. It could have (laughs) taken place in the year 2525. It's just... Well, doesn't it take place in like 1995? (laughs) A little bit of science fiction. It supposedly in the timeline that others have fashioned for the motion picture franchise, it takes place in 1989. Okay, sure. Wishful thinking. Makes no fucking sense whatsoever. What, is Tommy Um, like 13? It it pushes it five years into the future so that at this point he's 19, I suppose. No, I think he's supposed to be 17. Is he supposed to be 17? Yeah. Okay. And he um, looks every year of that. (laughs) Plus more. It's almost as if he's not a teenager at all, nor is anyone else. Before we get really into Friday the 13th Part 5, we have a couple pieces of business to discuss very briefly. Usually, we don't have a lot of timely stuff on the program because we record so far out from when the podcast actually comes out. For whatever reason, we happen to be only less than two weeks away from this dropping, and we just found out that the newest edition of Friday the 13th that was supposed to be coming out in October has been shelved, and the production has been shelved indefinitely. And I was wondering from both Gina and Brandon here what your thoughts are on why no one can just put out a fucking Friday the 13th movie. Why do they got to make a big fucking deal out of it? Brandon, you're more tightly in tuned 
with the sort of reporter side of the horror world. Mm-hmm. What what have you heard over there? Okay, well, um, I can't disclose any sources. Mm-hmm. No, um, I mean, I don't know that much. But basically, Rings is not performing as expected in the box office. And that's coming from the same company. Rings is another reboot of a franchise that has been dead for well over a decade. Right. And people are getting kind of skittish. And that's not fair. I think it's th- this situation is one of those kind of uh, the more you delay it, the more anxious you get about it. Mm-hmm. Because if they'd made another Friday the 13th the next year, it doesn't matter if it's good or bad. People are going to come back. But now it's almost been, what, it came out in 2009. It's almost been a decade. And they're like, it has to really be good, good for us to have earned that hiatus. Yeah. And they're just thinking too hard about it. They just got to do it. I agree with you 100%. Gina, what what are your thoughts on the sitch? Well, I'm just trying to think of all the reboots, remakes, and the like that have come out the past couple of years, and none of them have really done well. I mean, I'm thinking of Poltergeist. Uh, there was supposed to be, I think it was already made, a um, whole rebooting of the Amityville Horror series. Yes. That... That never saw the light of a theater. Brennan mentioned Rings. It's, I think with with movies like It Follows and and The Babadook and um, you know more you know, indie style horror. I think people are just kind of moving away from you know, the the well established series. Man. Yeah, they're just keep you know telling the same story over and over and over again. I mean, when you look compare a movie like It Follows to a standard, you know, well here's a masked guy running around chopping up naked teenagers and you know and again because you know with the remakes they tone it down a lot and and so it's gonna lose the uh the zest if you will of the original movies because they're gonna tone the violence down they're gonna tone the nudity down and they're gonna i you know i will admit i I will watch it when we get to it i've not seen the 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 last attempt at rebooting the movie really no i've not seen it um i don't know if they how toned down it was in comparison it's an it's an odd one i don't think it's that far off it's far from if we're talking about distance from the worst it is not the worst by any stretch. Much better it, than part five. Its major sins are that it tries to be too many different Friday the 13th films. And there are some, there. there's a structure to it that seems new and exciting and then forces the back two thirds of the film to feel rushed. But I think we'll, we'll get, it, it will not be a, a, a difficult task to get through it. Let's put it that way. No, not they, at all. They they at very least took the notes of part four in that they cast interesting people to be in it for the most part. There's a couple of nondescript CW types, but beyond that, it's filled with people who can actually act or emote or convey a character on screen, and that's an actual welcome departure from most of the 2000s slashers that came out around that time. It certainly miles better than the Nightmare on Elm Street reboot that they also tried. So there's that. Um, I My only addition to this is, I think it was suggested on Bloody Disgusting, that instead of doing the whole let's release this in theaters route, give it to Netflix. Make a deal with Amazon. Make a deal with Shudder. Ha- go low budget. Make one every single year. So that one edition of it does not sink the franchise. You just 
constantly put it into production. That way, if you wanted to do a Jason in winter, you could do it. And if it sucked, who cares? Another one's coming out next year. And that way you could get a chance to do something where the entire cast is full of gay men or lesbian women. Or it takes place on a prison planet. Or on or the moon. On the, who, whatever. You could do anything. It's an elastic concept. And so it just becomes a different edition of it. Instead of trying to make it this rigid, how does this fit in the timeline? Like, fuck it. Nobody cares about that. Just make it. Make it fun. Make it interesting. Make it with good characters and great gore effects. That's all people care about anyways. You know, they can give Adam Sandler a, you know, a six-movie package deal. I don't know why they can't do this. Especially, if, you know, they sort of make it in the vein of, like, American Horror Story, which, as yeah. you say, like, tell a different story with a different cast each year. Yeah, I like this, actually. That's a great idea. Well, <laughs> hopefully Victor Miller agrees with this idea, because he's currently suing for the rights, and that suit comes up in, like, November. So that's about it for Friday the 13th, the future edition. Let's go back in time to a simpler era when they didn't think about making a Friday the 13th movie at all. They just fucking produced it. They didn't care if they had called an end to a franchise the year before. It made too much money. Now it's time to make another one. And so that's how we ended up with a new beginning. So let's catch everyone up with who is left alive at this point, which is almost everyone in the movie, which is crazy because there's already been six deaths. All right, who's still left alive? It's Tommy Jarvis 2.0. He's a survivor of a massacre who sweats like he's rehearsing for a Bob Fosse musical for about 50% of this movie. Uh, Then we have Dr. Matthew Lutter. He's absolutely (laughs) incompetent in every possible way. Possibly gay. (laughs) He could be almost anything. We barely get anything, any information about him. He's a professional who's gathered psychologically damaged youth to form the worst version of the Avengers ever assembled. And then we have his assistant, Pam, who has a sweet set of proto-Lita Ford bangs. (laughs) And then we got Kindly Grandfather and Pancake Generator George and his grandson Reggie the Reckless. We also have the Hubbards. They're off-site. They're a mother and son pair who are were deemed too on-the-nose for hee-haw. Uh, <laughs> and then there's Jake, who's a, sort of an off-market, made-in-Taiwan version of John Cryer. We have Robin, who is a person, at least legally speaking. <laughs> and then we have Violet, who is the owner of one of the earliest Sia wigs ever produced. <laughs> Uh, we have Demon and his girlfriend Anita. Wait, wait, well, we, haven't, we, haven't met, we haven't met Demon. Anymore. We haven't even met them. And there's a reason. They're only introduced so they can be killed for no reason. Uh, that'll be next episode. We got Duke, who's a person who should have been killed before he was introduced. <laughs> and then we have Roy, who's 250 pounds of a character so subtle and so underplayed that his reveal <laughs> as the killer is only a surprise to coma patients who just happened to wake up 10 minutes before this movie ends. And that's about it. If you're wondering where Jason Voorhees is in this, he's not in this fucking movie, and he's invoked constantly for no particular reason because we don't know where this takes place, and no one on the internet seems to have an idea either. And who we're here to talk about today is Raymond, who's a uh, drifter, and then we have our fuck couple, or at least one of them, It's uh, Tina and Eddie, probably the most famous fuck couple of this particular edition, 
because they've been the focus of several musical odes over the years. Uh, <laughs> people really obsessed with her nude sing, I think. So we launch right into this with Raymond. And he kind of looks like someone took an iron to Kevin Sorbo's face. Now, see, here's and the I thing. You, you call him Raymond. Was he ever, did he ever say his name? No. I don't think he had time. No, he's he's, he's the... listed in the in the credits as Raymond. That's the and, only reason I know. Uh per the wiki, his name is Raymond Joffrey. <laughs> oh, we love the wiki. We oh, are the always wiki. relying on the wiki. They just make up so much shit around the top of their heads. Their burial plans, what they were buried with, what they were dressed in. People just make up all kinds of shit just out of whole cloth. It's wonderful. I mean, to to give an example of this, Gina found the wikia for Lana who we talked about in our last episode. And the way this is written feels like someone shot up heroin and was given a keyboard for the first time. <laughs> and then as the film played about 200 feet from where they were, they just quickly typed what their impressions were of what happened. Uh, Gina, do you want to favor us with a dramatic reading of Lana's Wikia entry? You have to picture this because it is it is a wall of text. It consists of two sentences. Oh, let me get my popcorn. The the second the second sentence is probably about 150 words long. <laughs> so we have Lana was a beautiful waitress who works in a restaurant, Pinehurst. And when she was working, Billy, her boyfriend, goes to the restaurant and he asks her out for sex. <laughs> That is the first sentence. As you do. The, 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 would you like some sex? Sure. Let me just finish. Let me just finish up at the diner. And, and now the the epic second second sentence. She accepts, but she needs finished cleaning first. So she goes inside and finish cleaning. And after she goes to change her clothes, and while changing, she hears a sound in the car. But she didn't see nothing. So when she, so when she finished, she left the restaurant with a cat scare her. And she, laid a, and she latest a moment, and when Billy was telling her to hurry, Billy is killed before he can get out, and then Lana exits with a cat. Then she go to Billy's car and wait to Billy, because she didn't see inside the car. And when she is waiting, she see Coke fall on the floor. <laughs> and when she sees, she take and start to eat. <laughs> and, and says, your going was to waste a lot of money this way, smarty. Oh, well, this means more for me. And when she did this, she saw big feet and a axe in the floor. <laughs> Lana screams out her last words. Oh, God, Billy, Billy. She gets scared and exits of the car. But when she did this, she was axed in the stomach by the copycat of Jason Voorhees. Roy Burns stabbed to death. She falls to ground to her death. Lana, oh. alongside Billy, was sometime later taken away by the police and paramedics. She was buried to her funeral in the same coffin as Billy. What? Really? <laughs> no! Oh, I think my lung collapsed. <laughs> that is the most insane description of any scene that has ever taken place. I don't care how funny any of us will ever be this podcast any previous edition any future edition no one will be able to generate the comedic power that that paragraph and i put that in dick fingers manages to evoke whoever this is did a lot of them because put to her funeral or put to his funeral 
it it's seems a, to be a, a common thread that should like no one knows how funerals fucking work. Also, just because you were boinking somebody does not mean you want to be buried with them. Certainly not in the same fucking coffin. <laughs> that's like that's uh. probably the third or fourth time that characters have been mentioned as being buried together. And I, I am a little dubious of how often that actually happens. And I, I don't want to jump the gun here, but the wiki for Eddie and Tina also says they have plots right next to each other. <laughs> This was written by a hopeless romantic on meth. <laughs> I don't really know what the fascination is with burying people together after the fact. <laughs> it's it's one thing when they can't be separated, a la sex sandwiches we've discussed many times. Something tells me this person is doing a lot of level A improv. I'm into it. We are in the presence of a god tonight. I have things to say about Raymond. Okay, um, great. This is where the crux, if you will, of my problem lies with with part five. Mm -hmm. Raymond, he's a character. He may be less essential than the hitchhiker from part four. Right. He has no plot arc, no reason to exist. He barely has any dialogue. He's set up pretty much to be another scumbag whom fake Jason, who clearly believes he has the moral high ground here, eliminates from the earth. Mm -hmm. Almost all of these secondary characters are introduced as, look, audience, here's another scumbag. That, that, that should have been the subtitle of the movie. Friday the 13th, <laughs> part five. Here's another scumbag. <laughs> and they're, you know, they're set up like so many grotesque bowling pins to be knocked down. And who could fucking care? I mean, you're 100% right about the hitchhiker comparison. Because at least the hitchhiker displays that Jason has now made his way back to Crystal Lake. Here, we know that there's someone roaming around killing people. Because that's happened six fucking times before this. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it, of course there's another fake out when you think it's Jason watching Tina and Eddie. But, but it's the handyman. He's all... <sighs> Yeah. and licking his lips and about ready to whip it out. It's like, come on. <laughs> it's very odd to have this Depression-era hobo suddenly show up <laughs> looking for a pie on a windowsill and like, all right, well, if I can't steal a pie, I'll at least ask for work. And then Ma Hubbard's like, all right, clean the shit out of the chicken coop and then put it behind the chicken coop. I think, and, I think they're building a poop tower behind the coop. Well, it would be about the only thing that, that Tusum is building outside of my disgust for both of them. <laughs> I, think, I think Junior is a poop tower. Oh. <laughs> yeah, oh, movable and, um, feast, as it were. But Before we leave this scene, I would like to say I'm pretty sure Winona Ryder based her Stranger Things performance off of Ethel in this scene. <laughs> um <laughs> She's very tiny and spastic, and she has all those hand motions that she likes to use. Mm -hmm. Why? Why is everyone like Pigpen in this fucking movie? We don't know. It's it's some sort of neither world where everybody is just wandering around, lost in the woods, and and they, they've some of them have stepped out from rips in the time space continuum, like Vinny and Pete, yeah. and 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 then we've got Violet, who is some sort of does some alien communication dance, and, and <laughs> where are we? When are we? 
I don't know. Do you know? I don't know. Well, my, I just want to say I'm pretty sure that canonically there might not be running water in this movie because there's an outhouse. Like, we don't see a toilet. Maybe they just can't take showers. Yeah, and, and then when uh, when Tina and Eddie are, are done with their, uh, their lovemaking, Eddie's like, let me go wash off in this filthy swamp water. Yeah, exactly. Like, the showers of part four are no more. He's told to go clean up a chicken coop and then put all the shit behind it. And then he ends up, by context clues alone, because no one tells us jack shit, that these two are once again having sex on the Hubbard property, something we have actually been told they like doing. So does that mean that the chicken coop is right behind the stagnant body of water that Eddie cleans himself up by? Ooh, that's some Aaron Brockovich crap right there. It's like, how are all these people not dying of the norovirus 24 fucking 7? Just imagine the smell. Oh, oh my god. god. I don't want to. <laughs> it's, it, why? Why are we being forced to imagine the smell of chicken shit water? <laughs> This is what the movie presents as entertainment for the masses. That's entertainment. (laughs) Let's talk about Raymond Zen before we get to Tina and Eddie, because they're tied together. In In all kinds of ways. (laughs) Even in death. So Raymond, as Gina denoted, we get this sort of killer POV shot where we hear him pseudo Darth Vader breathing. As they begin to take off their elaborate shirt mechanics. and Rig up the pulleys. In in a normal movie, this would be a red herring to throw you off. But it doesn't last long enough to do that. Because he is immediately revealed to be the person who was watching them. And immediately after that, dies. And I think they thought that that would be a surprise... But it just sits there. No, because, I mean, even this is like 40 minutes into the movie. Everybody in this in this movie is awful. And and I don't care about what happens to them. So whether you're supposed to be startled by like, oh, that, that that's not Jason. That's this other guy who we barely know. And and, and look, he, he, and he turns around and immediately is killed. Yeah, well, all right. I mean, <laughs> you know, let's, 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 you know, keep, you know, setting them up and knocking them down. Who's next? It's just uh, this endless stream of first draft ideas and they're not john carpenter's halloween these are not hitchcock films that are steeped in mood and built like pressure cookers but at least they're for the most part competent filmmaking and this is just he is revealed as the heavy breather he turns around he gets a hunting knife to the stomach and that's all she wrote r.i.p.d raymond Fuck off. We Everyone fuck you. off. Yeah, I feel like that the the uh, director of this would have liked it to have been just a, a collection of death scenes rather than actually trying to create some semblance of plot stringing them together. I think you just described the movie, Jada. Yeah. I don't think oh, that yeah. was his hope. I think that is the end result. Where you just, we're not, we're not going to waste time on developing these characters. Here, th- this is Tommy. Just, just, yeah, he doesn't look anything like Corey Feldman. You wouldn't know who that's who, who that's who you're supposed to be if we didn't tell you. But that this is all, that this is the plot. It's Tommy, and it's actually, and then the big twist is it's not actually Jason at the end. That's it. Easiest 30-page script I ever wrote. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it's a comment on the futility of life in that you can live and breathe and die and no one will ever know your name or what you did. Or your character arc. I mean, that's very philosophical. And 
for the second episode in a row, we're getting super philosophical <laughs> about this shitty, shitty movie in the hopes that we'll find a massive answer for why it so completely sucks ass. Well, it's well, better than a massive aneurysm, which it has threatened to give me several times. <laughs> <laughs> it's more delightful and uh, I assume more nudity filled than most mass aneurysms. Absolutely. And speaking of mass uh, nudity, let's get to two of the biggest purveyors of it. And that is Eddie and Tina, who are one of our many, many, many resident fuck couples, but probably <laughs> the primary example of it. Because they have a compulsion, an outward need to say, I guess, is this exhibitionism is what they're suffering from? And that's why they're in a halfway house? Because they like to fuck in public and get caught? I, I'm pretty well, sure that Tina actually has that, that disorder where you don't know how to react to things properly. <laughs> because she, she never, she almost never stops laughing. I was, I was actually amazed when she spoke because I think it was the first time in over half an hour that she'd had anything else other to do in the script than, than shrill laughter. Look, here in a new segment, I like to call, what's your damage? <laughs> we have to figure out. Yeah, uh, this is my show now, by the way. <laughs> okay. um, see you next episode. There has to be a reason that these people are here. Like, she's, she has to have some kind of mania where she just giggles uncontrollably and she just has to, like, barf out whatever words she can while she's in these brief respites between laughing. Another reason I have a huge, huge problem with, with this movie is it treats the idea of the mentally ill so casually and so poorly that it's, it's infuriating. Obviously, Tommy is suffering from some post-traumatic stress disorder, which is fine. And apparently he has, you know, problems controlling his violent impulses, which is fine. But you've got the late Joey, who just seems sort of challenged. Yeah. I wouldn't say he was mentally ill so much as a little, so little slow. And then you've got the, the guy who, he just stutters. That's it. That's he just stutters. Not fair. You know, I mean, and then you've got Violet, who is also has some sort of trouble controlling her her anger. But then you've got the guy who who has so much trouble controlling his rage that he murders someone with an axe. Yeah, and, for being offered a chocolate bar. Yeah, there, there's there is no in there's no place in reality where all of these people would be in the same place at the same time, being watched over by two people, <laughs> and then who regularly leave them alone. To their own devices. I'm now with the Hubbards on this. This place should be shut down. There's no reason for all these people to be in the same place. And we've often wondered this aloud for previous movies. Like, why are the group from part three all going to a cabin to party together when they have nothing in common with one another? Part four, at least they seem more of a cohesive grouping with two outliers. And then we have a completely different family drama that exists as a satellite around their planet movie. Here, these people are gathered together in what you would usually see in a sort of psychological thriller, where a group all reveals their intimate fears, and then those fears are used against them by a killer. Now, we've seen that over and over and over again, both before this film came out and after it. And it's used to varying degrees. Some are better than others. But it is a well-worn formula. Here, none of that happens. They just exist. They are in a place. That place happens to be haunted by a crazed murderer. And we just see it happen passively. Because we don't give a fuck about any of them 
and they certainly don't give us a reason. It is terrible. Well, can't argue with that. (laughs) I mean, I feel like the episode where we ganged up on Shelly here, because I feel like this is the moment where it all comes out that we just fucking hate this movie, but... There's not much else to talk about. I mean, Eddie has a haircut that looks like one half of his hair is fighting a civil war with the other half. (laughs) I mean, it's a funny joke, but that's all I got because he doesn't have anything else. I mean, he's got a a cool collection of Maui and Sons shirts that he wears open-faced so that we get that deep, 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 deep V. Hey, good for him. You've got a great set of abs, but that's not a movie, man. No, it's yeah. just not a movie. You're you're really ignoring the complexity and depth of this character. Okay. Um, first of all, um, clearly he's being institutionalized for completion anxiety because he can never complete an outfit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got me there. All right. Yeah. But I also, like where this is going. Here's a key line that I think you're ignoring. He walks up to her and she's lying there and he says, what is this? Sleeping? Clearly, that indicates that he's a sex robot sent from the future because he doesn't understand human emotions or human biological functions. Um, That also would explain how ruthlessly efficient he is at sex. Well, I mean, I think that's the most realistic component of this film and that sex from start to completion happens in about a minute and 15 seconds. Uh, Well, they they must have gone to the Judith Myers School of Sexual Liaisons. It's so brief. (laughs) They have this tete-a-tete while Tina is uh, putting up the laundry, and they have this fuck you, fuck me, fuck him, (laughs) fuck that, fuck his, fuck there. And you're like... Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Did I just switch the channel to His Girl Friday? I mean, there's so much witty banter happening. I, I just feel transported to a time where everyone was smarter and quicker. I think, no, I think he's learning the English language. Like, they're practicing prepositions. Or uh, pronouns, whatever the hell. I, it's been a long time since I was in school. <laughs> And then they take their cue, like, all right, we've said fuck enough. Let's go (laughs) off into the forest. They run off, and then Eddie does this thing that every time I see it, I'm like, how is this flirting? He rounds a corner just in front of her, picks up two, you know, piles of dirt with his hands, and throws it at her and goes, Um, watch out for the dirt. No way. (laughs) No, sir. I I refuse. There's no fucking way that guy's getting laid. I don't care what kind of dick you got. You throw dirt at a girl and then expect to have sex with her? That is science fucking fiction. And excuse me, I'm not going to let you touch me with those dirty-ass hands. Exactly! Well, they're all dirty, so maybe that just comes with it. Or maybe he's self-cleaning if he's a robot. Why do we need to see three separate sequences of them running from where they're hanging laundry to the field which they decide to have sex in? I know that time passes. You don't have to show me every minute of their walk from point A to point sex. It's like a Birdemic where uh, it's about about 45 minutes of it is just driving. I don't understand their outfits. I Her shirt seems like something out of Buck Rogers. Oh, the fashion the, here is a crime. I, it's terrible. <laughs> Eddie's shirt is about the... I think I had a shirt like that. If I'm going to be honest with you, 
in junior high, I for fuck sure had a Maui and Sun shirt exactly like that. I buttoned it all the way to the top because no one wanted to see what was underneath. <laughs> Her shorts, and I don't know what that tank top is or its purpose. But she's definitely not wearing a bra. Oh, no. Uh, bras have gone the way of running water. They don't exist in this universe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Vic, Vic could have a, 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 an axe, but all the, all the girls had, a, had to relinquish their bras as soon as they, uh, they checked into Pinehurst. <laughs> they're all just hanging up in a closet somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> well, you could, you could strangle yourself with a bra, whereas when one of the patients, the one who has PTSD and can violently go after someone at the moment's notice... No one checks his bag for a fucking knife. That hey, just goes unchecked. You can't strangle yourself with a knife, Patrick. <laughs> That's very true. Point taken. Dr. Matt only got through the strangling themselves portion of the how a, uh, a patient might be able to injure themselves. Vel- everybody has Velcro shoes. You can't see it, but just be rest assured, <laughs> everybody has Velcro shoes. Um, one of the elements here that we haven't really gotten to is they're, they, when they were previously busted by the authorities and brought back to this halfway house. The sheriff mentions that they caught them having sex on the Hubbard's land and how that's going to be a real problem and that the Hubbard's don't know about this yet. So why were they patrolling the Hubbard's land for random sex havers? I was wondering that. that hey, I, assume she, I assume she called the cops on them, but I mean, given how fast they, they uh, start to finish, I would imagine they'd be hell and gone by the time the cops got there. But the sheriff specifically says, this time we caught them before they found out. So they find out about this after the fact. They didn't call the cops this time. They're just, Eddie and Tina are having sex so loudly that the authorities know it's happening, but the Hubbards somehow don't. Or maybe the cops were going to go have sex by themselves. (laughs) Like they were trying to hook up, but Eddie and Tina were in their way. Perhaps they were trying to have uh, sex with the greaser couple from the previous episode. Possibly. Look at, sadly... look, at this, yeah, look at this town. Do you really think there's anything else better for the cops to do than looking for teenagers having sex? <laughs> well, they got to pick up bodies. <laughs> and they and they got to briefly talk about how there's a maniac on the loose and Roy pricks <laughs> yes. up his ears like, what? Hmm? Me? Were you talking, talking about me? I don't see anyone else here, so you got to be talking to me. <laughs> I mean, I- I'm the only one who knows about maniacs. I happen to be one. I just started <laughs> killing the other day. Royce about a minute ago, a minute away from going, the- <clears throat> it's me. <laughs> it would be more subtle than how it's being handled currently, which is to just focus on him anytime says there's a killer on the loose. And he gets this crazed look in his eyes. Like someone has a piece of raw meat or, a, or dangling an open chocolate bar just off of camera to get, his, <laughs> to get his goat going for the child he gave zero fucks about until he saw him chopped up right in front of him. Who do you think sent the chocolate bar care packages? So Addie and Tina have sex. They very quickly finish to both satisfaction. I that guess. Well, she's laughing away, so I guess it must have been good for her. But she's or laughing at everything else. She... It just feels like she must be the most enjoyable lay of all time because just merely the act of doing anything sets her off into fits of joy. So is that yeah. all there is? <laughs> I have no so, idea. Yeah. Uh, so Eddie completes his pre-programmed duty and decides he's got to go clean up. 
So off he saunters to a stagnant pool of water to do just that. And to throw a stone directly into the center of it like a five-year-old learning how to skip stones. No, he doesn't have the finesse of human muscles. It's (laughs) like on off. He just chucks it into the water with his robo arm. (laughs) In the meantime, Tina decides to lay down on the filthy ground. Uh, with just a, a sheet between her and the grit of the sand beneath her, Ugh. and it's, sand, sand gets everywhere. Was this it's the, coarse? W- was this the uh, probably the most extended gratuitous boob shot so far of any uh, of any Friday the Thirteenth movie? I, I think mm. Julie Aronson gets a lot of topless time in Part Four, but this, but that's from a distance. Yeah, no, whereas... this is this is literally an overhead shot, and there's just boobs everywhere. And spoiler alert, another one of the halfway housemates also just takes off her top and lounges openly in front of a a window for what seems like an eternity later on. So that's what they've sacrificed for plot and character and gore effects is lots of nudity. And so she just sits back, letting the world go by, and then somehow Roy manages to sneak up on her like all ambulance drivers, they're always <laughs> known for their stealth, and then sticks those giant gardening shears into our eyes and clamps them shut. We don't get to see this. We only see the aftermath of it. So, Tina, R.I.P.D., I mean, what could have been a cool and interesting death? You don't get to see it. So, who cares? Why? What's the point? Why am I doing this podcast? Someone explain <laughs> to me how I ended up together. here. It's okay. Thank God, Patrick's okay, entering his existential crisis. <laughs> Phase of, of having his own I had a plan for my life, and then I watched Friday the 13th Part 5, and I'm beginning to wonder what's it all worth. Patrick, Patrick, you gotta compartmentalize, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do when I'm watching this, yeah, there is that little compartment that's watching a really terrible horror movie, mm-hmm. but there's also the compartment that's watching the sixth hottest Friday the 13th character take his shirt off. And that's fine. That compartment, <laughs> just make it bigger. Like, <laughs> like either of this couple, whatever way you swing on the pendulum of the Kinsey scale, mm-hmm. the both of these shirtless people are immaculate and they're wonderful. And that's what we're here for. But wouldn't their babitude and hunkitude be better served if I knew who they were? And say what you will about... You know, any of the characters in part four, there's a reason why they're as loosey goosey as they are, or you f- you wonder what that couple has in common and what it just draws you in, and nothing about this draws you in. I mean, they're not cast poorly for their physical attributes, but they're they are given nothing to work with, nor are they told to do anything. That's interesting. It is. It just sits there. That guy has a decent chest. I'll. I'll get, grant you that. Tommy, that's a wonderful piece of man meat that they cast there. <laughs> but oh, he yeah. doesn't know what to do with his face, and it, that's a <laughs> bit of a problem. If his face was as interesting as his torso, we'd be talking. <laughs> Again, no arguments here. <laughs> I'm just trying to have a good time, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to deny you that good time, but Jesus, wouldn't it be more fun? Oh, fuck. Hey, oh. you asked, you made me watch this movie again. <laughs> 
hey, you were under no obligation. You could have watched these seven minutes that all these murders take place and left it at that. That's right. You don't have to watch the whole thing, especially in these early editions. You can just turn it off right after your last character ends. If, okay, if good, you wonder where it's going from here, that's on you. That goes right. to all future guests. Well, I had to know who the killer was. <laughs> It's a real whodunit. So Eddie shows back up. He sidles right back up to his lady love, uh, paws at her a little, uh, wonders what what sleep is. (laughs) (laughs) Which he's never seen her display before. Yeah, do do Eddie's dream of electric sheep. (laughs) Did my lovemaking really draw out all your life energy? She's tuckered out. And then he notices, oh... This lady that I was having sex with moments ago, she has no eyes. They have been (laughs) taken from her. And then he backs up to the only tree that Roy happens to be hiding behind. Yeah, I was going to say that that, that despite it being Roy, he still manages to exhibit that famous Voorhees precognition when he is able to guess how Eddie will react to, to the discovery of Tina's corpse. It's like, well, clearly he's going to back away in horror and bump right into this tree that I'm hiding behind, rather than fleeing in the other direction or, or just staying where he is and screaming for help. Nope, he's gonna, this is exactly what he's going to do. And, and apparently Roy can see through the tree because he gets that leather strap right in the sweet spot, right over his eyes. It's like he's been practicing for this his whole life. And maybe he has because we know nothing about him. At least with Jason, he was this feral backwoods ninja who could do almost anything. And he was kind of already risen from the dead. So maybe he already had some supernatural abilities to him. Whereas Roy is just an ambulance driver driven insane by the sight of the kid he never gave a fuck about until right before he finds him dead. And then he's like, oh, I got superpowers. And... He can whip that leather belt around and then just starts twisting it around the tree. Now, I'll give you that this is the most inventive death in this entire movie. It's it's a pretty good it's a pretty good death. Even yeah, even, even heavily even heavily edited down. It's it's it's, it's pretty good. You you haven't exactly seen this before. It's sort of a play on the head crushing that we've seen in part 3 and part 4. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit of this. It's a little bit of that. We do get the massive fuck up of both seeing Roy turn the belt both to the left and to the right. Like how Jason would use. To the right. He was trying to remember righty tighty, lefty loosey. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like how Jason would use the dull side of the machete to kill people. But then he squeezes so much that he, he breaks poor Eddie's uh, brain right in half. And the belt snaps off. Just in the nick of time, and that's it. That's all she wrote. And then, just like that, it's night again. This is the other problem I have with this film. Unlike other movies, where the sequence of events starts and quickly ends, it's like a 24-hour period from beginning to end. This takes place over an endless series of days, where people keep disappearing and they go, I wonder where X and Y have gone. But no one goes to the authorities. The authorities know about half the murders have already taken place and they are powerless to do anything about it. We don't see them patrol. They're they're literally sitting around their office sulking. Basically the custodians of the woods. (laughs) I mean, we don't even see them hand out a parking ticket. Outside of them having badges, why are they the police? 
we we didn't really touch upon the scene where where the mayor of wherever the fuck this town is crystal uh-huh. lake ensigns <laughs> he he actually sounds a little bit like a, a character from a martin scorsese movie which <laughs> which lends credence to the idea this might still be the crystal lake region because he sounds very jersey yeah. whereas the sheriff and the hubbards just sound like something out of, straight out of dog patch but yeah i i love how the the mayor is insisting that the police should probably do their job and find this killer. And, and the, the sheriff and... is so upset that his bullshit idea of, I know who it is. You remember that backwoods mutant from wherever the fuck Crystal Lake is in comparison to where we are? He's back from the dead. I would get pissed off too if someone told me that. Like, hey, this dead crazy person, he's our suspect. I'm like, Fuck you and go out and find the actual killer, you asshole. That would require work. Yeah, I mean, we're not gonna. Now we know we're dealing with. We're not going out there. That guy's crazy. <laughs> haven't you seen? Haven't you seen the last four movies? <laughs> oh, and uh, Gina, inquiring yes. minds want to know what mm-hmm. is a dog patch? It's an old, old comic called Little Abner. Oh, I've heard of Little Abner. Yeah, it's, it's just, that's the town it takes place in. So that's just, oh, you know, okay. just general you know, white trash uh, country sounding. So Okay, fair enough. Thank you. <laughs> We're nothing you know. if not... <laughs> <laughs> Starfield. <laughs> we, we have nothing but the hippest of references. Although I was chided for my Spuds McKenzie joke. And then, lo and behold, what happened in the Super Bowl? Who's back for a new generation? Spuds, the party animal himself, <laughs> fucking Mackenzie. So, ha, 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 I was ahead of the goddamn curve. I'm very proud of you. Yes, I'm the only one congratulating myself. You it's okay. are lit. <laughs> AF. Yeah. Faux show. <laughs> All right. So, and that's Eddie. Uh, Whatever. Whatever. Confetti. For the wiki, Edward John Kelso. Oh, fuck that wiki. (laughs) That is bullshit. They're just making shit up left and fucking right. I mean, they don't even have the balls or temerity to put it in brackets like citation needed. Yeah, I like that they give them like last names and family members, but don't they don't ever actually try to speculate why they're in this halfway house? I guess that's a little thinking a little too deeply about these characters. I yeah. think we're we're the only people past the one Paramount executive way back when who's like, what's happening? Who are these people? And they're like, shh, this makes money. Well, come on, <laughs> look, parents, Mister Kelso, Mrs. Kelso, done. It's easy. <laughs> it's uh, irrefutable. Makes complete sense. The only other piece of information that I know about Eddie is that he does make a return in a oh, comic in a comic book called uh, Freddy vs. Jason vs. Ash, where he comes back as a deadite at the behest of Freddy to fight Jason. That is awesome. Of all the characters to bring back. Well, he's got no <laughs> eyeballs. That's yeah, he, cool. he has a belt around his, his eyes. So it makes for a, a very quick visual reference, which I'm sure is, is why. Beyond this and the music video that they're featured in, there's really not much to any of these characters, which leads us to choose your own death venture time. So how would y'all like to die if you had to? In one of the three ways we've discussed, we have a hunting knife to the stomach and 
debatable whether or not you want to include the MPAA cut of the twisting of said knife. Uh, and then we have Tina who gets gardening shears to the eyes. And then we have Eddie's brain being crushed by a leather belt. So Brennan, you're our guest. Oh, thank you. Okay. Go for it. Um, I think I would pick Eddie's death because I suffer from a photosensitivity. Like my eyes are really sensitive and I also get headaches a lot. So sometimes I do wish I could just crush my brain. Mm-hmm. And I think that would just be kind of nice. It would be very pleasant for me to actually get to live that out for a, a brief shining moment. <laughs> okay. I, that reasoning is completely solid with me. Gina, go for it. Actually, my uh, I'm picking a different one, but my reasons are somewhat similar to Brennan's. Uh, I'm going to pick Tina's demise because my eyes are shot anyway. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I'm basically blind as a bat without my glasses. So, you know, if you want to poke out my eyes from garden shears, have fucking at it. Like, they're, no <laughs> u- they're no use to me, so go go for it. Like you, Gina, I'm also going to choose Tina's way out, primarily because it is very quick and efficient. You would be out of it right away. And I would get to be found topless, which is how I really want to be seen most of the time. Well, Eddie gets found topless too, right? With your ripe, luscious breasts exposed for everyone to see. (laughs) Because Tina is closer to my body type. Okay. It's it's more representative of me as a a person. I I respect that, and I wish you luck. I want to be Eddie. But chances are, if someone were to identify me just from the neck down, they go, is that Tina from Friday the 13th? <laughs> I, it's not, we're just being realistic here. Okay. okay. Uh, and so that brings us to the end of yet another Kill by Kill podcast. But before we go, hey, Brendan, where, where, where can people hear more from you? Okay. Well, I have a podcast, Scream 101. Um, we review a bunch of horror movies, different theme every month. This this month we're doing female directors. Uh, you can also find me, uh, my writings at Blumhouse.com. You can find me on Twitter at either Scream101Pod or It's Raining Brens. All right. And Gina, where can people find you on the internet? I write about old television, mostly of the 70s and 80s at tuneintonight.wordpress.com. Killer. All right, kiddos, if you want to reach out to us, there's a couple simple ways to do it. You can talk to us on Twitter at killbykillpod. You can send us a note at killbykillpod at gmail.com. We'd also love it if you were to rate and review us on iTunes. This helps us get out and to be heard and seen by more people. If you tell us what your favorite death is in the Friday the 13th franchise, We will read it here on the air. That is our promise to you. I cannot promise that I will get your gender correct. As the last time I read somebody's review, I assumed it was a woman who turned out to be a man. Um, Neither of whom is is wrong for their gender or being non-gendered. But I'm just going to have to figure out a different use of pronouns to avoid embarrassing myself. Something I have yet to be able to do in this podcast. Anyways, that just about does it. Until next time, this is Patrick Hamilton for the Kill by Kill podcast. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Kill by Kill is produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. Friday the 13th is owned by Paramount Pictures. Jason is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. 
Kill by Kill logo was designed by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today. <laughs>